Welcome to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share. All ideas, thoughts, and statements are those of the guest and the host of Echo Oscar Delta, and not of Navy EOD or Navy as a whole. All right, today we have Chris Rudiger, did 26 years in the Navy, uh, 23 of that as EOD, so there will be a, a fun Fun little tidbit of his first three years. Just found out. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> yes. Um, Good times. Tired as a, a senior chief, did eight deployments, and then after uh, after having a good time in the Navy, went over and decided to uh, continue doing some other fun stuff, being a cop down in Florida. Yes. So I appreciate you coming on. Oh, it's great to be here, and uh, I so appreciate the work that you're doing in this project and uh, your ability to reach out and get people to talk which is tough with the UD guys and gals. <laughs> uh, appreciate it. Yeah, it's, uh, I, it's actually becoming less and less of a, uh, a challenge the more episodes yeah. that come out, which is, which is nice. I think people are yeah. realizing, like, I'm not trying to dig up the, the big, dark, dirty yeah. secrets. You know, I'm and, just... and we, we all know we have things as a community that we, it's healthy to talk about, we need to talk about, and it's time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just nobody wants to be the first one. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. I, it took me a while to start this, and because I because I didn't want to be the first one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unless you, unless you're at the range, in yeah. which case everybody wants to be first exactly online. <laughs> yep. Um, so we kind of alluded to it. Uh, you did a, a little something before EOD, um, uh, a two parter. What did you do when you first came in, and then uh, how did you find EOD during? So I, I came in in 1987. Uh, at that time in my life, I uh, fashioned myself a chef. Uh, wanted to go to culinary school and didn't have the money for it. So that's why I came in the Navy. And uh, at MSA school, I was the uh, second, uh, second highest graduate in the class. So I got choice of orders. Nice. And uh, the guy in front of me, for some reason, wanted to go to Chicago. So I picked Hawaii. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and the caveat was that that order, those orders were for submarine duty. Mm. So I said, all right, let's have some fun. <laughs> so uh, I, I reported to the uh, USS Queenfish out of Pearl Harbor, Hawaii, and did my first three years as a, uh, as a MS on the USS Queenfish. Nice. Uh, I was in Hawaii and didn't have two dimes to rub together, and I wanted to scuba dive. I had just learned how to scuba dive at home in Long Island. And I wanted to do it in Hawaii. Couldn't afford it. Yeah. So I was like, all right, simple solution. We'll get the Navy to make me a diver, right? (laughs) (laughs) So immediately upon checking on board the USS Queenfish, uh, in my introduction with the XO, I said, XO, I want to go to dive school. (laughs) You can imagine how that went over. (laughs) I don't care what you want. (laughs) uh, The the XO, God bless him, was a man of his word. And uh, I would not stop talking about it. So he said, listen, you qualify submarines in six months. I'll send you to dive school. Nice. I didn't sleep for six months. <laughs> I, I accomplished the task. I knocked on his door and I said, XO. He says, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, went to dive school at Fort Island. And while I was at dive school, graduated dive school successfully. And there was another guy there that was going on to EOD mm. and told me about the EOD program. And, uh, Truth be told, when the Queenfish uh, decommissioned, I actually put in a package for buds, right? Okay. So many of us do that. Yeah. <laughs> and the uh, uh, I had put in for Operation Deep Freeze. I put in for buds. <laughs> 
the submarine community didn't want to let me go. Yeah. And so for Operation Deep Freeze, they said I was overqualified. The SEAL community, uh, when I spoke to the SEAL team out there, uh, basically the submarine just lost my paperwork. Mm. And the SEALs were like, yeah, they're not... They're not coming chasing me. Yeah. They're not following up. So yeah. that was kind of dead, dead in the water. And, and then I said, wait a minute, there was that guy that told me about this EOD program where they pay you to jump out of airplanes and blow stuff up. And so uh, I saw I saw um, Mass Chief uh, Mass Chief Die was out there. Not not Tom Die. Um, anyway. Uh, at uh, Westlock out there, okay. hooked up with them, put a package in through them. They actually called the submarine at one point, the mass chief did, and said, listen, you can deny this guy, but you can't stop his chit from going through. Yeah. And the rest, as they say, is history. That's pretty cool. So, yeah. Yeah, very cool. <clears throat> That's uh, a... <clears throat> it's funny because I, I was in a little bit of a similar situation. I went to Bud's initially to um, quit during Hell Week and then... Uh, um, I had a friend that told me about EOD. Um, was like, Hey, come over and get beat every day with us. And I was like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, fun. And then my package initially got denied. Um, uh, but they, it took them a month to tell us. So that gave me an extra month <laughs> of showing that I wasn't a total turd. Right. Right. <laughs> and, uh, then I had, I had a mass chief and a few other people right. basically come over and speak up and like, yeah we're able to yeah. open it up enough that, that I got through it's, yeah. it. It's, it feels good when somebody's right. willing to like right. go for you. you right. know? Manning is a problem everywhere. Who knew? Yeah. Right. right? <laughs> and uh, when they, when they told me I was overqualified for operation deep freeze, I don't know if you're familiar. That's where you go to Antarctica. I, I'm a cook on a submarine. How am I overqualified <laughs> yeah. to cook under the ice? It's, whatever that's funny <laughs> so yeah yeah so yeah it became clear what was going on it was clear that the seal the seal guys were not going to help me out yeah and uh and it was mass chief I'm, i always confuse uh gunner pie and mass chief die yeah it was it was tom die out of uh, out of hawaii at the time and uh yeah he called up uh he called up my xo and had a few choice words with him really? as mass chiefs tend to do that's and, awesome uh, and cleared the way for me so yeah and the crazy thing was uh i was a cook on a submarine so i you know i i didn't have any even though i was in hawaii you never see hawaii mm-hmm. when you're in submarines you're always out to sea so i'm like running in place between the main engines in the engine room preparing for dive school <laughs> and doing the most insane stuff uh, to, to prepare. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I wanted it. I, um, and I knew that I totally enjoyed my, my submarine career as short as it was. It mm-hmm. was great. It was fantastic, but I was clearly done. Yeah. And I was like, if I fell out of EOD school, I'm coming right back here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a lot of motivation. I was pretty highly motivated. <laughs> yes. Nice. Yes. How was the, uh, EOD school process for you? Uh, it was good. Uh, I mean, it was, it was long. Um, it, uh, so of course, back in the days of Indian head, um, was it Charles County crab? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, it was long and, and arduous and, uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, my, my class was awesome. I loved the guys I was with. Um, I actually got married. We graduated phase two at Eglin yeah. uh, on Friday. 
I got married at the base chapel on Saturday. Nice. And Sunday, I drove to Maryland. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and the majority of my class was at my wedding. And uh, you can imagine what the night before the wedding was like. Yeah. My wife still talks about it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, things of legend in my home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but the, it, was, it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. I was never, I was never a great student in high school. I graduated probably with two points to spare. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was smart enough to get into submarines, um, but academically, I was not strong, and so, and so, it was a tough school for me. Yeah. But I was very, very dedicated. Nice. And uh, yeah, so that's good. Then, uh, where was your first Moby Unit? Uh, Moby Unit Two. Okay. Yep. And then uh, let's see. So. What that puts you ninety two ish? Ninety uh I think January ninety two. Nice. Yes. So how was well when you got to your mobile unit, um, there's probably you may or may not have known or heard about anything, but if you had, <laughs> was it what you expected? Was it different, better, worse? I, I had honestly I had no idea I I didn't do any time as a 31 I wasn't around the community it was all completely new and fresh to me yeah so I showed up as a blank slate ready to go and um, and and it was a little bit overwhelming yeah my first uh, my first team was dead 18 and it was gutter pie yeah and uh, Mike oh my gosh I can't remember um, Dennis all these first names. But it was a team that had just come back from the sandbox. Okay. And they're all war heroes, right? Yeah. They were actually recovering mines. And, I mean, their poop don't stink. They can't do any <laughs> wrong, right? And here, come, here comes me and Ed Ford. He was a 31 and, like, fresh out the box. And it's like, just stand in the corner, shut up, open your eyes and your ears, say nothing, <laughs> yeah. and pay attention. <laughs> right i mean and so and um coming from the submarine community and as as a kid that grew up in long island new york uh i i believe it or not didn't have any experience with boats never shot a gun uh when i went through boot camp i was uh i was one of the the company leaders forget what my position was wasn't master whatever it was but I didn't go to all the all the day trainings that that the that the rest of the class did at times. I was back in the barracks managing people and that kind of stuff. Oh, really? So I never shot a pistol, never qualified. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I mean, I, I showed up at EOD seriously a blank a blank slate. Yeah. And so, you, as you can imagine, it was a pretty intimidating experience. But uh, I was not to be deterred, yeah. And uh, and pushed through, man. And and I loved it. How was so? A lot of times you hear that guys who have lots of you know gun experience are actually harder to teach because they've got so many things yes. ingrained wrong. Yes. <laughs> How'd that go for you? Was it pretty quick to to learn or? Well, I I took the advice from my team and kept my eyes and ears open, <laughs> my mouth shut. <laughs> nice. And I did exactly what I was told to the best of my ability, <laughs> and so it worked out. It worked out pretty well for me. Nice. Uh, and 
yeah, I'm I'm a I'm still a fairly good shot. Yeah, uh, I just spent eight years as a cop, so and I was on SRT and all that good stuff. So there's always room for improvement, though. Absolutely, uh, <laughs> always room for improvement. But yes, that was a steep learning curve. As you're learning how to be a basic tech, you're learning how to operate boats, you're learning how to operate guns, and all of these things. And at that time, I was I think I was a senior E5, and so I came okay. in. And the rest of the debt was kind of, that was the debt, but they were all not scheduled to redeploy. And so that kind of put me in LPO position. Mm. And so not only are you a, you know, fresh out the box guy, but you're quickly, I don't think I was immediately an LPO, but I was definitely was made clear. I was, I was being groomed for that and being positioned for that. And that was the goal. Gotcha. And so, you know, uh, for most of us, we take great pride in who we are and what we do, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm learning now uh, that I read a book recently by a a, a a gentleman who's a psychologist for the VA, and it's a book called uh, "The Warrior Dilemma." Okay, and he talks about transitioning out of the military. And so he talks about all the things that the military does to condition you to be a warrior. And, and not in a bad way, just the factual, how's, how does one turn somebody into a legit warrior? Mm-hmm. And one of them is operating through shame. Yeah. When you don't perform, right? In a lot of places you don't perform, you know, you get an opportunity to correct and you get patted on the back and... Not in the EOD world. Yeah. If you true. don't perform, you're out. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty much that simple. It's shame. And it sounds awful to say it that way, but that's what it is. Yeah. And so when you step into the community and you realize that if I don't perform and I don't perform well, it's going to be shame. Yeah. Now, do that for 26 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see, <laughs> see how you come out the other side. It's funny you mention that because, you know, even where I'm at right now, it it hundred percent is it, you. I remember every, every rank, every job, I was like, okay, at the next one, right. that's where it'll be. Then you get there and you're like, nope, right. Still. Okay. Right. The next right. one. Right. Here, here's your, here's your PQS. Here's your expectations. This is what you have to meet. These are the standards. And if you don't, you're out. Exactly. Welcome aboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how was, well, so at your, your first mobile unit married, um, did you, when did you have uh, your first kid? Did so, you have a little while in EOD before? Oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. Because <laughs> that, the, the reason why I ask is one of the, the things that I feel like benefited me, quote unquote, yeah. is the fact that I, I didn't, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. So like all of my free time was my free time. So I could just. Every, you know, I stay, if I'd stay at work until 10 right. o'clock, nobody was right. like, get home, you right. know, or, right. <laughs> oh, how and, that? <laughs> and I'm so glad that you bring that up because that's, that's a real, um, that's a real factor that people, y- you don't think about. Right. Uh, and I, I did not have a whole lot of, um, direct influence from my father when I was coming up. And so the whole marriage, how do you, you know. How do you find a woman? How do you get married? How do you handle this? How do you plan? Do you plan? None of that, yeah. right? So I'm flying by the seat of my pants as usual. Uh, as I said, 
I met my wife in Panama City. Uh, we dated four months long distance, and we got married at the base chapel at Eglin, right? So we get to Indian Head, and, uh, you know, we're, we're young, and you know the rest. And so we start asking out of curiosity. We're already kind of forward-thinking about family and children, and all of our friends are like, yeah, we started trying to have kids. It took us six months, a year, two years, five years, right? And so we're like happy-go-lucky, like, hey, let's do this thing, yeah. right? <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> we were married. Oh, man. We were married. Yeah. Two weeks. She called me in Area 8. Yeah. Uh, for those listening that understand Area 8 when it was at Indian Head, yeah, you don't get phone calls in yeah. Area 8. <laughs> I got a phone call in Area 8. Honey, I'm pregnant. <laughs> I did about a thousand push-ups for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's yes. So we showed up at Mobile Unit Two, pregnant, and uh, yeah. So you know, you show up at the at your first Mobile Unit, fresh out the box, knowing nothing, and you're at the same time developing a family and trying to develop a relationship with your spouse, and yeah. so lots of things going on. Yeah, that that that's that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> so. During your, your first workup and then uh, deployment, um, you know, I like I like the hearing about the, the first one especially. Obviously, there's things that happen in every workup and right. deployment and all that. Right. But, but the, the first one, aside from just, you know, being quiet and watching. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, what, what was your first deployment, actually? <clears throat> Out of there. Oh my gosh, my first deployment was uh I guess it was it was a ship deployment. Okay. Uh Amphib. And uh not the Kearsarge, not the Guadalcanal. Maybe it was the Kearsarge. Um but yeah, it was a it was a uh, amphibious deployment. Okay. And we um Oh my gosh, I'm having such a brain dump. Um like I said, eight eight deployments. Yeah. And uh <laughs> but yeah, so the first one was to uh I guess we it was a it was a med deployment. Okay. And uh I don't think that was uh well yeah, so ninety ninety three. So that was the yeah, Somalia was where we wound up. That was the kind of the gotcha. the apex of that deployment. Yeah. Um and uh we we were up north. Uh, we were actually on Liberty in Romania, and uh, we got the word that something was happening in Mogadishu in Somalia. Mm -hmm. and of course, it's the Black Hawk Down mm -hmm. incident. And so very quickly, they recall everybody back to the ship. We come back, and we, we head from Romania uh, down to Mogadishu. Yeah. And on the way, we're getting very intermittent information and getting briefed, and we're, we're with the Marines. And of course, the Marines are heavy, right? And they've got their own EOD team. And we're like, yeah, okay. So we're sitting on the ship, right? And uh, the Marine uh, commander at the time was kind of maniacal about his guys, especially his EOD guys. And it's like, and for whatever reason, they weren't sending the Marines ashore. And he's like, my, my EOD techs are staying with me. <laughs> and so the Marines are sitting on the ship and they send us in. And uh, so that was my first uh, combat experience um, as an EOD tech, as an LPO, uh, in every capacity. Yeah. And 
thankfully, we weren't hearing as much information as we know today about the whole Black Hawk Down incident. Uh, we were getting bits and pieces because um, I, I think I'd have been even more terrified if I knew all, all of what was yeah. going on. <laughs> and so from, from our perspective, we're just like, hey, this is an amazing opportunity. We expected the Marines to go in, but we, here we are. Uh, they load us up on a 46 and fly us in. And uh, funny story, uh, we, they load us up on the 46, we lift off the deck, we get over the water, and as, as soon as you get over the water, the door gunner tests the 50 cal, right? Lights yeah. off a couple of rounds into the water to make sure he's good. Well, I'm sitting in the jump seat right next to the 50 cal, and he doesn't have the catch bag on the 50 cal. <laughs> Let's see where this is going. <laughs> so, yeah, so you see where this is going, right? So he lets off the first round, and I'm watching the shell casing like it's slow motion. I'm watching it go up in the air, come down, right into my T-shirt, and, of course, the audience can't see this, but I'm like a bear. Yeah. And so I'm, my, my chest hair is like smoking. <laughs> and I'm smacking myself on the chest. People don't know if I've been shot or on fire. or, And I'm like, this is great. This is great. This is this is going to be good. That's awesome. <laughs> Not so much for you. But... Not so much for me, but yeah. That's yeah. funny. Uh, the the workup during, during that one with what you did on deployment, do you feel like it prepared you for it or how was, uh, to an extent. Yeah. If you, I, I think if it's your first time going into combat, there's nothing that can truly com prepare you. Yeah. Yes. Muscle memory, communication, operate your weapon, shoot, move, maneuver. Yes, these are things we train and, and hopefully they're trained well and they become muscle memory when you get into combat you rise to the level of your training. Mm -hmm. But honestly, anyone that's ever been in combat their first time, there's nothing that can truly prepare you for the pace of it, yeah. the, um, uh, the visions, the smells, the speed. It's like going from high school football to NFL football. Yeah, It's like it's the same, but it's moving a whole <laughs> lot faster, yeah. right? And... Uh, <clears throat> So yeah, it was a really, um, it was a real growth experience as a young man, as a leader, uh, as an EOD tech, uh, and all the way, all the way there, we were, you know, we were studying all the ordinance for the area, mm. uh, and we we actually didn't get out a whole lot. We did, but not a whole lot. Yeah. Uh, but still, just being on the base, um, going the the convoy from the airport we were at the uh what they call it the um college or university mm. university base yep. so from the airport to the university base you're out in town and back then we were not rolling around in armor armored up humvees right, right. wearing canvas tops you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh and yeah and if i remember correctly i think at some point, someone offered us like flak jackets. We're like, no, we're good, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, was, mm, mm. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, no, uh, yeah. what, what do they say? Hindsight's yeah. always twenty twenty. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, know, it's but, like, yeah. Eh. you know. But I mean, flak jackets are not going to stop bullets. Yeah, yeah. We're like, and and we're going to die of heat exhaustion. So, yeah, that's that's actually. Know. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, right. It's a, it's a little right. toasty there. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, all of these things that you just, you know, at, at that time. And uh, one of the ironies of that is later on in my career, I did a deployment in Stuttgart. 
and uh, with Army SF, supporting Army SF. Mm -hmm. And while we were there, uh, Rick Lamb, who was actually involved in Black Hawk Down, was the sergeant major oh, really? out there. And we had one of the training ops that we did when I was working with Army SF was all of the lessons learned from the Black Hawk Down Mogadishu incident. That's cool. And, uh, and so that was an interesting thing because you get to, I was there when it happened. And then probably 10 years later, you're training the lessons that you learned there. Yeah. Right. And you get to see the progression of where, um, where tactics have, have, come to what we've learned the hard lessons we've learned mm -hmm. right and the hard lessons are something that really really sticks with you yeah no that that makes sense and it's it's interesting because those while the the scenarios and sometimes the equipment may change but a lot of times the lessons applied in a similar fashion are still true right some things some things don't change yeah yeah no that's that's pretty cool when you came back from that, um, you stay at the mobile unit or did you? Uh, I did. I stayed at the mobile unit and then I did, I think, I'm just coming back to me now. I think, I think the Shreveport might have been the ship we did the first deployment on. Oh, okay. And then after that was the gears. So, yeah, we, we came back. Uh, so that would have been uh, 93, 94 time frame. I went to jump school. Uh, no longer a dirty, rotten, stinking leg. <laughs> Which, That's funny because I, I I keep forgetting that it wasn't it wasn't the same pipeline that we have now that right. you had to like find a slot essentially right, to go right right yeah back then you show up and it's like okay here's your dates you're yeah. going to this school you're going to this school you're going to this school and uh, uh, funny side story about that so my brother shows up at SDV two at the same time I show up at Mobile Unit two yeah and you know we're both newbies and so we're focused on on getting assimilated mm -hmm. not really talking to each other we both live in virginia beach not so far from each other what we don't know is both of our units have signed us up for seer school the same class oh really yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> and uh so i think we talk on the phone and we're like yeah I'm, I'm flying away for training all right dude i'll see you in a couple of weeks whatever we both show up on the quarter deck of <laughs> seer school and we're like oh dude <laughs> this is gonna be bad <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, and so we actually we actually went through SEER school together. Nice. And uh, and uh, when we got debriefed by the instructors, they said we've had lots of brothers come through SEER school, but none in the same class. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, they had a lot of fun with that, and us not so much. Yeah, I, I just thinking back to to SEER, I can imagine all the ways that they played that against you. Yes. That's. We, we both thought we'd be slick and not put our Virginia Beach address as our home address. Yeah. So both of us put our mother's address in Long Island. <laughs> We're like, thanks for the help. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. Um, then, uh, let's see. Um, so what was, what was next for you? Uh, so after that was, uh, was another ship deployment. And uh, I don't think that one was actually I was intended for. Mm. Um, again, horrible with names. Uh, a team was out. Uh, their LPO, a guy named Tim, uh, busted up his elbow, I think uh, fast roping or something like that. And in typical fashion, 
Hey, Rudiger, you're the last man standing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guess what? And uh, so, yeah, so I was, I was, my number was picked to replace him. And gotcha. uh, so left for, what I think they had like four months remaining of their employment. And uh, with like two weeks notice, imagine coming home and telling your wife that. Yeah. 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 And we had two kids at that point. Yeah, not going so well for Rudy. Yeah. That's and uh, the only thing you could say is it's not my choice. I that, didn't volunteer. That, that's right. <laughs> that's right. On that one, I could honestly say that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she's she's gonna listen to this, but she already knows they yeah. weren't always they weren't always forced. <laughs> but you um, always said they were. I always, at the time. probably always said they <laughs> yeah. were. But yeah. Um. But anyway, uh, so I I did like planes, trains, and automobiles to catch up to the ship. I had to fly over to Italy and catch a helicopter and then a train and a small plane. And finally at some point made it out to the ship and, uh, finished that deployment. And it was another med deployment, lots of great, lots of great ports of call. Um, the only major thing that really happened was interestingly, uh, not many people will probably remember. There was a, a, a pilot, Scott O'Grady that was shot down in Kosovo yeah. and they actually made a movie about it. Yeah. Well, when I was flying into the ship, he was flying off the ship. We oh, passed really? each other in the air, wow. yeah, approaching the ship. And he had, he had been rescued by the Marine Force, uh, and that was the Kearsarge. Okay. Uh, that was the maiden voyage of the Kearsarge. And uh, so they rescued Scott O'Grady, and he was coming on board just as I was arriving. So lots of fanfare with that, and, you know. Yeah. Looked like a scene from Top Gun. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> we rescued him. I mean, it was it, pretty very interesting operation yeah. and uh and of course hollywood did their movie and yeah. you know they but it was still a very very intricate operation very dangerous very successful and uh so that was a great thing to be a be a part of and coming on the ship you know you can imagine the mm -hmm. the uh the atmosphere on the ship was very excited but other than that honestly it was uh it was a med cruise with a lot of great ports so yeah, yeah. <laughs> not the worst thing in the world not the worst thing in the world um <laughs> And I think in the first, going back to the first deployment in Guadalcanal, there was something that very interesting that happened that I'm going to put it out here because I've never been able to find it in the news anywhere. Really? Yeah. So the uh, Guadalcanal is uh, called into port in Gaeta, Italy. The uh, admiral in Gaeta wants to uh, do his change of command on the deck of the Guadalcanal. Anyone that's ever been to Gaeta and knows what the Guadalcanal is, and uh, was it a LHD? Or, it's the yeah. it's the largest amphib. Right. Looks like an aircraft carrier. Yeah. Anyone that knows those two things, that port and that ship, they don't belong together. <laughs> <laughs> and so basically, uh, uh, the admiral insisted that the that the captain bring the ship in so he could do his change of command there, and the captain, quite frankly, didn't have the gonads to say no. Yeah. And so he tried. Uh-oh. <laughs> and he's coming in, and there's a wicked wind coming across the pier, and it pushes the ship away from the pier, and the lines snap, and he throws the he throws the, the engines in reverse and tries to back out and digs himself a hole and puts oh, his ship in it. No. Well, guess who's the only divers for, like, hundreds of miles? <laughs> the EOD guys. The EOD guys. <laughs> we actually spent two days literally digging out the uss guadalcanal jeez yeah 
and you'll never read about it in a paper anywhere. Of course, yeah. the skipper got fired. Yeah. You know, Admiral had his change of command anyway, <laughs> not on the Guadalcanal. <laughs> but oh, that was man. one of the that was one of the very interesting things. And I, if I, yeah, that was my first deployment. Yeah. As LPO. That's crazy, <laughs> man. Yeah. That's funny that that. I feel like nowadays that would they would not say anything about how EOD got it out but they would 100 percent say what happened nowadays oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. that's yeah. that's funny yes <laughs> yes and so these are some of the you know some of the more benign things of being an eod tech in the force and uh you know these days our our op tempo is i mean there's just i don't know are we even doing ship deployments anymore i don't yeah, when i when the... i retired there were just aircraft carrier deployments a few i guess yeah that's that's what we have now it's the, yeah. the csg still so but, but yeah that really afforded an opportunity uh for um to have just some fun yeah have a good time do you know we were doing training we were with the marines uh we had we had a seal team on board or a platoon on board and uh so we got to do training with them we we did some um we were we went to france <laughs> And I think it was like October or November or something like that. And they were doing, uh, they were doing um, hydro recon. Okay. In France. Yeah. In October. Interesting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and anyone that knows anything about a hydro recon, the very worst position is like the first couple of uh, positions on the chain. Yeah. Because you're not in the water, you're yeah. not out of the water, right? <laughs> and you're just if the if the winds whip it, you're just it just stinks. Yeah. It sucks. And so they're like, hey. You, do you guys want to come? And of course, we just want to get off the ship. So we're mm -hmm. like, yeah. <laughs> Guess which position you Guess got. Guess which position you got. <laughs> uh, yeah. Nice. So lots of things like that that uh, give you an opportunity to uh, be a part of the fleet yeah. and experience that, uh, see how things operate, um, have time for training, have time for some fun. Whereas nowadays, most deployments are just, it's all business. Yeah. At least that's my impression when I left. It's been, what, nine years? Yeah. So, yeah. When, uh, when you were on the ship, were you part of ship's company or s separate from ship's company? Uh, I guess we were, uh, we, for that, for the deployment, we were technically, yes, we were ship's company. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we had, we, you, you came under the command of the ship with uh, the mobile unit as your admin. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Then, uh, let's see. Um, when so you did you did two ship deployments and then your third deployment wasn't on a ship, was it? Right. No. And so I I, I wrote eight deployments and technically I guess it's eight deployments, but uh, a lot of them were just like I went to I went to Cuba for a couple of months. I went to Puerto okay. Rico yeah. for a couple of months. Um, so a lot of a, a lot of that, and I mean the Stukart deployments. They're you know they're they're not entirely six months. So is that a deployment? I don't know. I was anything over. Three I deployed months. <laughs> anything over three months or what right. is it, like ninety consecutive days right. is right. that is a deployment. <laughs> okay, fair enough. So I've done probably more than eight. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but anyway, who's counting? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, so those deployments actually the very my very first deployment got extended. We were like nine months instead yeah. of six. My wife was elated about that. <laughs> Uh, next one, next one was, was around six and then, uh, so the two ship deployments and then I think after that is one of the times that I went to, I went to Gitmo, um, 
went to jump school. Yeah. And then, like I said, it was a couple months in Gitmo. So they, uh, the Haitian, the Haitian thing was going on. Mm. And, uh, horror of that is they had a beautiful golf course at Gitmo. Yeah. And they turned it into a holding area for Haitians. Uh. Oh. But uh yeah, so I did a I did a couple months out at Gitmo, which was again another amazing experience outside the the typical EOD deployment. Um I don't know how many detachments we have left in great places like that. Like I think there was Dep Bermuda was still going when i first came into eod and it was like i want to go to dip bermuda <laughs> yeah yeah i've heard there were some pretty awesome spots yeah yeah that's uh what what kind of stuff were you doing out in, in gitmo well uh gitmo was amazing uh because if you know anything about the structure of gitmo it's a island and you go 100 feet off the island and you're in 150 foot of water yeah and it's a you know it's untouched for the most part and it's just beautiful nice uh, but of course, you also had the minefields mm -hmm. in in Gitmo, and then you had the backwater bay between the base and and Guantanamo proper, okay. which no one is allowed into, uh, and it was uh, it was secured by the Marines, and uh, of course they get, they get the uh, there's always a movie right yeah uh, what was the 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 famous movie about the the guys out in Gitmo right you need me on that wall you want me on that <laughs> wall. Uh, so it was interesting to get an opportunity to be out there for a couple of months. And the beauty of Gitmo was all in one day, you could wake up in the morning, dive in the morning, catch yourself some, catch yourself some fish, spear gun some fish. You could come back, put your fish in the cooler, put your gear up. You could go out in the minefields, maintain the minefields, right? The Marines would uh, pull old mines out. And or if they couldn't pull them out, if they couldn't disarm them, we'd go in there and do that. Okay. And then, of course, once a month, you you detonate whatever you had. So you had potential to dive in the morning, catch a bunch of fish, uh, go out into the minefields, maintain the minefields. Well, on the edge of the minefields were wood line, and if a deer comes out in the wood line while you're working in the minefield, guess what? <laughs> you're shooting a deer. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that thing coming to the minefield <laughs> yeah, with you. <laughs> right. Right. And. Uh, so in a single day, you could like they. In fact, while I was there, this actually happened. They're like, "All right, boys, it's Friday. Go out in the morning, catch a whole bunch of fish." Uh, in fact, that Friday morning, we went into the back bay, and at that time, there were some old piers, and the base wanted to get rid of the just the pylons and stuff were sticking mm -hmm. out of the water, and I guess they were kind of an eyesore, and I don't know, whatever. They wanted to get rid of them. Yeah. So we're like, "Hey, we have a plan." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And nobody's allowed in the back bay, right? It's untouched. So no one goes out there. So we go out there and we place some charges on these pylons and we just come back in and just scoop up the fish. That's awesome. I mean, red snappers, like <laughs> huge. I got pictures with them. Nice. So we went out in the morning, did that, filled up the cooler with fish, went out in the afternoon, did minefield maintenance, shot a deer, came back. Down dressed the deer Friday night, fresh fish, venison, That's and legit. watching the sunset <laughs> from Cuba. I mean, you know. That's pretty cool. Yeah. True. Yeah. And of course, you know, you got Mark 16 diving out there. And oh gosh, it was it was it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing. That's uh that'd be true serpent turf. Yes. <laughs> yes. 
and and they had Marines out there. So uh, you know, every now and again, you could do air ops. Uh, you could do your your fast roping, jumping. I, I didn't jump while I was there, but I know they did it sometimes. So you you had opportunities for everything, and it was island living, and it was great. That's pretty cool. It was fantastic. Yeah, you you also mentioned uh, Puerto Rico. Um, you're able to go out to Puerto Rico and yeah, and Vegas. work out there. Yeah. How'd, uh, well, what were you doing out there, and how was that? Well, they were they were in the process. They were beginning the process of, of, of course, there was a years-long process of turning over Viegas back to Puerto Rico, right. and they had to clear they had to clear the range. Uh, there was a range used there during World War II, and they dropped tons of ordnance there. And so, uh, we would go out in batches. Of course, there was a debt there. And that was kind of their maintaining the range was their was their job. And okay. in between, they would whenever something would rains would come and wash you know wash something out, they would find something start coming coming up mm-hmm. to the surface, or the surface was washed away, and they would go and pull that out. When they had a large enough pile, they'd detonate it. And nice. so every now and again, every couple of months, they'd send a crew out there from mobile units or whatever who was stra- whoever was stragglers because it was kind of labor intensive. Mm-hmm. And uh, you go out there and you dig up ordnance and you pile it up and make it go bang. That's awesome. Again, you're in the islands, right? Yeah. I mean, it just so many. That's that's one of the things that I really look back on with real nostalgia. That I think today is is lost in in I shouldn't say lost, but the op tempo is different. Yeah. The 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 requirement is different. The need is different. Yeah. Which is which is a good thing for us, but at the same time, you know. So, but yeah, uh, being out there with the guys and then, you know, going out in Puerto Rico and it was, it was Vegas Island. You couldn't just wander into Puerto Rico and, you know, have a good old time, but you did get out a little bit and, uh, and it was a, it was a fantastic opportunity. Um, not to mention all of these things I'm talking about, you know, opportunities to, uh, expand your skills as an EOD tech. Um, where again, right now, I, I, I don't know what it's like now, but when I retired, we were really, I know there was a push to get back to like, Hey, we need to learn how to dive again and, yeah. and limpet mines. Remember those? <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, even today, I'm sure underwater, uh, uh, MCM is something that's not, that's not utilized every day, but the right. moment that you let that, that skill, uh, die on the vine, Right. Yeah. Uh, when nine eleven hit, when I was so, sorry. No, no, you're good. Ahead. No, go for it, man. So <laughs> when I was in, in Italy in mobile unit eight, nine eleven happened. Yeah. Dude, the entire mobile unit had like four Olympic kits. Really. <laughs> <laughs> you should see. You should see, Navy guys at Ashan in Italy trying to buy PVC and. <laughs> Like put trying together, to <laughs> trying to trying to put together Olympic kits. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that's what happens yeah. the moment that you let yourself believe, oh, that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. That's a skill set we don't need anymore. That's when, and, and that's when it happens. Right. And as you know, you don't just snap your fingers and bring that back. Yeah. Uh, not, not to the proficiency needed to execute it. Right. In combat. Yeah, I think there's I think there's a couple pieces, and sometimes we miss uh, we miss one of them, you know. And, um, we go through an event, whether it's you know doing a bunch of mines or doing IEDs for you know twenty years straight. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, either way, whatever it is, you go through an event, and then you learn 
our tactics, techniques, and procedures for that, right? We learn those sometimes in blood, um, yeah. all too often, mm-hmm. and and then we get really good at that. And even for the for the 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 pieces that don't change, so there's some procedures that say basically the same right. for the type of ordinance that you're going after. Sometimes what's lost in that is what is it actually like doing this for real? Cause, right. cause you can train to it and you can have right. all the, all the pieces right. right there. But then, um, you know, I think as time goes on, right, we've, we have a few in the community that have still dove on mines and, and they're community adjacent. Yes. We could say close yes. enough that we can bring them in and right. talk to them. Right? right. And get, okay. Our procedures are, are pretty good. Right. We train to those. We right. can get pretty good. But what is it actually like to do this, that, or the other, yes. right? Yes. The IED thing. Right. Got pretty good at that. Yes. We're, yes. I would arguably say the, the go-to EOD force for right. that. Right. Um, but as it winds down and as we start, you know, having people that retire that did this. Right. Then it'll become, okay, the, the procedures are there. Right. And as long as we train to them, right. awesome. Right. But then there's still, okay, what's it actually like? Right. And how do you recreate that environment right. where the conditions are the worst? Conditions yeah. that you would not train in, but now you don't have that choice. Right. You're in combat, and yep. it's necessary, and you're doing it. Yeah. Right? The, the current is stronger for the dive than you would ever do in training. Right. But guess what? We're doing it today. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. How do you recreate that feeling of, uh, of reality? I right. mean, it, back in, uh, back in Indian head, uh, I remember, uh, I remember very clearly, uh, Gator Franklin was the instructor, master, master chief Franklin. I don't know how many people remember him. He actually, he, I actually lived near him down in Florida. It was awesome. Oh, really? Yes. Nice. Uh, he was my he was my test out instructor out of out of area eight, and uh, I was working the uh, Russian fish with the with the uh, the little uh, the strings or the the wires that come out. Yeah, the feelers that come out, mm-hmm. and and I knew I knew that I performed it perfectly. Yeah, and I wasn't always that confident, but I knew <laughs> I was like I did that one perfectly. And I'm walking back down to it, and then the charge goes off, right? They use, like, a, a quarter block of TNT or whatever in water. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, no way. I, I mean, I probably started crying, right? <laughs> and I look around, and Gator's, like, laughing his buns off. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> I mentioned I was a cook. Yeah. He wanted me to test out first so I could do the barbecue. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. But I wasn't getting, I wasn't getting out scot-free. Yeah. So, but, um, but yeah, you know, how do you, how do you really rebuild that intensity into yeah. training? And that's a difficult thing these days. It is. It uh, is. as tra- as training time is cut short, resources are cut short, mm-hmm. um, you know, and regulations are, are pushed down your throat that didn't exist before. Yeah. Right. How do you, how do you bring a warrior to that level of, of awareness and efficiency? Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. It is. Yep. Uh, you mentioned mobile unit eight, uh, stateside versus overseas. Uh, Your over, opinion. 
Oh gosh, <laughs> overseas, absolutely. <laughs> Send me back. Uh, that was an interesting thing because uh, my wife is originally from Georgia, and the furthest she'd ever been was Florida. Oh, really? And uh, I gave you a brief synopsis of so here I am from New York. I meet this Georgia girl, and her father, who's a truck driver, is like, "Oh, great! You met Popeye the Sailor Man. You're gonna get married. Now you're gonna go run off around the world." No, Dad. No, Dad. We're not going anywhere. Two years later, I'm in Italy. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> And so, uh, so she, you know, as the dutiful wife, she was all about it, but she'd never been outside the States. We have two little kids and, you know, she knows as soon as we show up there, I'm going to be gone. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, so we go there and, uh, it's just, it's thrilling. It's exciting. We get there. I don't think she said four words to me from, for 60 days, (laughs) good morning and good night. Yeah. That was it. (laughs) So, you know, here I am showing up at Mobian at 8, excited as heck, and she's just like, her world's turned upside down. Yeah. And, but uh, by the end of three years, she's like, can we stay? Really? <laughs> like, baby, this <laughs> would have been news I could have used like a year ago. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, by the time we left, but it ended, that our tour there ended with 9-11, and okay. so when we left, we were ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but under other circumstances, I think we gladly, gladly would have stayed. It turned out to be a great thing for our family, uh, some some really tight bonds with people there, and not all EOD techs. Nice. Some of the people we lived in housing together with, we yeah. still are connected with. Um, uh I got to work for the now Admiral, well, reti- now retired Admiral Morneau. Yeah. Yes. As a as a keg buster. He was. Uh, Thunder Steelers. Excuse okay. me. Oh my God. Okay. He would he would kill me <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> Thunder Steelers. Yeah. He, he was uh, pretty fond of of Moby and Eight. Yes. He's, he's mentioned yes. it a couple times. <laughs> yes. It was it, at that time. It was it was a great place to be. There was a lot of stuff going on, and then of course I would never. I would never disrespect anybody by calling 9-11 a great thing. Mm-hmm. But from the perspective of a warrior and an operator who's looking for experience, right. we were there during 9-11. And it was a kick in the shorts. Yeah, um, I was a couple of months away from, from redeploying back home. And uh, we were in Turkey playing volleyball uh, on their sand court in Turkey with the, uh, with the Turkish EOD techs when it happened. Really? And from that day until I redeployed, re-redeployed back to the States, I didn't have a day off. Really? Not one. Just getting everybody ready I mean, and getting ready? Just getting it. I actually got redeployed back to Crete with a reserve EOD team. Wow. Yeah. I came. I mean, it was just, we, yeah. It was all hands on deck, 24-7. Uh, we left in, I guess, April? Uh, April 2001. Yeah. And so February, March, April. Until we left, it was 24-7 every day. Wow. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. But, uh, yeah, that's, again, the whole, you know, uh, we were we were diving every ship in the fleet. Um, the whole limpet skills. Yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, all of those things got, got tested. The force got tested. The equipment got tested. Um, and you know, we, we realized, uh, how good we were, uh, where we were lacking and, uh, the fortitude of our force. 
and um, and it was incredible. It was an incredible thing. But uh, oh my gosh, so many things out of Italy. Uh, we so again a, a quick family story. So when we arrive, when you arrive overseas, they want you to go through Indoc. You are technically part of the base, and you have to go through the base Indoc, okay. right? Because you're overseas and. They want your family acclimated and everything, all the legal stuff done, and, yeah. right? So you show up there, and the base is like, okay, listen, we have your guy for two weeks. You're not touching him. You don't know him. He doesn't exist to you. <laughs> He's not yours. He's ours for two weeks. Yeah. After that, you do what you want. So we're sitting in Indoc, and uh, it's like three days in. And I see, I see somebody from my command knock on the door. And I'm like, oh. Not only is this going to piss the base off, my my wife is looking at me, glaring at me like, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) (laughs) And so as we're sitting there, uh, a plane returning to Aviano Air Base, Air Force jet, was returning from Kosovo, and he was carrying his ordinance back, which was a... uh, um, uh, Oh, my gosh, I have lost all of my tech, man. Bomblets. Okay. Yep. And uh, he's going bingo on fuel. Mm. And so he has two choices. Ditch the plane or drop the ordinance. Yeah. So he's flying over the most popular uh, lake, (laughs) uh, tourist lake in Italy. Yeah. The most. Largo de Garda, Lake Garda. And he dumps, he drops, he pickles his ordinance into Lake Garda. I'm sure they were pumped. Oh, this was awesome. (laughs) So it gets better because the pilot says I dropped it here. The Italian, uh, the Italian air air guys say he dropped it here. The American air guys, air traffic controllers say he dropped it here. So, and it's lake, right? Uh, when was the last time you saw a lake that's 600 feet deep? Yeah. (laughs) So they're like, okay, Mm. you, you're taking these guys, you're going to Lake Garda and you're searching everything up to 200 feet. (laughs) Like, what? <laughs> and uh, I happen to have Mark 16 experience from when I was at Moby Unit 2. And, uh, and, and again, boom, right into an LPO position. And, uh, and kiss, kiss my wife on the cheek and bye. Take good notes. <laughs> Take good notes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so she actually, she actually wound up uh, coming out there to, to Lake Garda and, oh, nice. and visiting us. And, um, uh, or did she, I don't know, somebody's family did. Maybe I shouldn't say that, (laughs) (laughs) but, but yeah, we spent a month out there. Okay. Uh, we spent a whole month out there and you know, you're, we were put up in a, what, what is an Italian five-star hotel? Yeah. You know, kind of an U.S. (laughs) three-star. Um, but it was very nice. It was a resort area. It was beautiful weather. You know, one of the few times you get to dive in EOD and it's beautiful weather, but you are diving up to 200 feet. So, you know, you're, and, and, oh, by the way, you're, you're, uh, searching for bomblets that have left the casing, uh, presumably, because it hits the water, right? And it breaks. And so they're what? Presumed armed. Yeah. Right. So you're diving oh in goodness. 200 feet of water with a sonar in one hand, your tagline in the other, yeah. and you can't see crap, uh, right? And I mean, you know, it makes for a great story, but at the time, it's like this is not cool. Yeah, it's not not favorable <laughs> conditions. Not to favorable say the least. conditions. <laughs> and um, but yeah, again, uh, 
great opportunity for experience, uh, a good time to be had when you when you can make it that when you have the right attitude about it, right? Yeah. But at the same time, challenging for the family, mm-hmm. and um, one of those things that over time really builds up toxicity within a family. Yeah, and um, uh, well, I'll leave that for another part. <laughs> yeah, <but> yeah, <laughs> we we will get to that. Part. Okay. <laughs> Um, so you come back to the States, uh, were you coming back to shore duty or did you stay on sea? Uh, Mobile eight, we came back to, uh, nav school, nav okay. school EOD. Nice. Yeah. How was that? Back to Eglin. Uh, that was great. Right up until I got run over by a car. I've, I've heard <laughs> rumblings of this. Yes. <laughs> yes. So here's the story. My, my wife. My wife basically says to me, we're in Italy. We've just been through 9-11. We've, it's been rough, right? It's been great, but it's been rough. Yeah. And she's like, listen, you're going to take some shore duty somewhere, or the next time you come home, you're going to find your stuff on the front lawn of the Tupperware, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm like, yes, ma'am. Cool. Got it. You deserve it. Got it. Yeah. Right? And going to, going, going to the schoolhouse is not a horrible thing. It's right. not everybody's joy, but you learn a lot, and you're contributing to the community. Yeah. Not, I'm, I'm excited. Cool. Let's do it. So, uh, what's the closest I've come to death being an EOD tech? Riding a bicycle in Florida. Jeez. <laughs> so, uh, when I graduated high school, before I came into the Navy, uh, I was I was into uh, road biking. Okay. Uh, big, big thing for me. Loved it. Uh, still love it. And didn't really get to do it while, you know, in my EOD career. And uh, so I was like, I want to get back to that. Perfect time, right? Uh, Florida, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, so I I pick up the bicycle, and uh, my local uh, church pastor and I were g- training to for a ride from uh, from well Crestview. Okay. To uh, Tallahassee, I think it was to Tallahassee. It was a park in Tallahassee where the church would have like a weekend picnic type thing. And we were going to ride there and meet the rest of the church there, 150 miles. So we start training for that. Well, one afternoon, I go out for an afternoon warm-up ride, like 25 miles, which in the scope of 150 miles, 25, warm-up, no big deal. So I leave the house. Uh, we, We were getting a piano from somebody or... Anyway, my wife wanted me there to move the piano. And I was like, listen, I'm going on my bike ride. As soon as I get back, we'll take care of this. So I I go out, and they say most accidents happen less than a mile from home. I'm like less than a mile from home in Crestview. And my wife's about the time she's expecting me home, and she hears all these, like, sirens and all this stuff. She's like, what the heck is going on? So little old lady going to bingo, literally. Oh, no. Literally. She is driving in the dedicated center turn lane, and I can I can ex, I can explain this really well now, having been a cop. Yeah, she's driving in the dedicated turn lane. I'm going with traffic the way I'm supposed to be, and uh, so she goes. She comes out of one parking lot, driving in the dedicated turn lane, and going into the church. She dropped her kids off or grandkids at church, and she was going to bingo. So she's driving in the turn lane. So she makes her turn, doesn't see me, and plows right through me. Throws me about 50 feet, Jeez. compound tib-fib, uh, dislocated shoulder, broken fingers. And I'm like, really? Really? This, 
<laughs> this is it. This is how it ends. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so I actually spent uh, nine months in a wheelchair. Um, I had uh, I had an external fixator for I don't know six weeks or something like that, and then cast for several months after that. Uh, the doc came to visit me at home and was like, "Hey, wh- what are you thinking about doing after the Navy?" I'm like, "Whoa, what?" You know, they're talking about retiring me, yeah. uh, whether or not I could come back uh, from this injury, and uh, so it was a huge. So here we are, right? And uh, and my wife, unbeknownst to me, had been praying. God, please bring him home. I want to spend time with him. So now, every time we start praying, it's like, babe, could we be a little more specific <laughs> yeah. in our prayers, please? Okay? Because after after four months of caring for me day and night, 24-7, she's like, I've had enough. Yeah. You can take him back now. Yeah. Right? He's yours. You can have him back. Uh, but yeah, uh, so what a, what a crazy thing uh, that is. So when I showed up at the school... I was, uh, I think I was teaching, I think I was teaching ground ordinance. Uh, and then when I came back from that, uh, well, when I began to come back from the injury, I was still in the cast, still in a wheelchair, so I couldn't, you know, operate as an instructor. So they made me the student manager. Mm. Uh, Mark, uh, oh my gosh, he would kill me. If... <laughs> Mass chief. Uh, he went out to the West Coast, Mark. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, he was the student manager. And I started working f- under him as the s- assistant to the student manager in the wheelchair and everything. And after showing proficiency at that, I saw the look in his eye. And he's like, I'm transferring. Here's your new student manager. <laughs> I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> got you good <laughs> got me good and so i wound up being the student manager for a year and then uh i i finished up at nav school eod as a uh, instructor uh at tools and methods okay and um the student manager experience wow i mean so <laughs> the whole i hate to i hate to cuss on your show but shit magnet uh, when I was a cop, I actually had one of those patches. Really? Yeah. They were like, that's him. <laughs> so here I am recovering from being nearly killed by the little old lady going to bingo, right? I'm a student manager. Not too bad a job. I mean, for the most part, nine to five. And, you know, taking care of students can be difficult sometimes. But all in all, not bad. Yeah. Unless, of course, Katrina hits when you're the student manager. Uh, <laughs> nice. And I'm like, you, are you serious right now? <laughs> yeah, so here I am, the student manager, and we have, uh, I don't know, I guess we had like 150 Navy students. Thank God I only had the Navy students. Um, but we had like 150 students. And, of course, in typical fashion, they didn't want to end training too early, mm-hmm. you know, in case the, the hurricane blew by or whatever and right. didn't hit us. So, you know, I'm like, hey, you've got 24 hours to get all of these students out of the state. I'm like, what? <laughs> Say what? <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it, you can't make this stuff up. It's insane. And so uh, all of the, we just tell these students, listen, get outside the state, uh, go, go north and go west far enough that, you know, uh, if you go north, make sure you go northwest. Yeah. Right. I mean, literally, that's what we told me that or go down south in Florida and come back when we tell you. 
And so I've got to like, you know, get all of the class leaders and be like, listen, do you have a phone number for everybody? Yeah. And, you know, this one wants to go with his wife and this one wants to go here. Um, I won't share any names, but there was one student that decided to stay with his girlfriend while he left his pregnant wife to fend for herself. Oh, no. I mean, insanity. Yeah. And, yeah. So I was a student manager and uh, we, once I got all my phone tree done we went my family we went down to orlando we actually had a timeshare down there in orlando at the time and we spent the time down there and it was great and then we came back and that now it's the hard part yeah now you got to corral everybody back <laughs> right travel claims you know where were you actually yeah seaman so-and-so you know petty officer so-and-so where were you actually <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh, that would be terrible. Dude. Not all those DTL. Oh not to mention refreshing all of the training areas, yeah. you know, and and just all the logistics that go that go into that. But once again, you really get an experience of how, a, you know, command works. Yeah. And all the inner workings and all the responsibilities, and you know, if you're preparing for chief, and it's a it was a it was a great experience. It yeah. was. Um, Minus the little old lady going to bingo. Yeah, that's uh, actually how did or did you have to do anything specific to show that like okay you're you're good you can. Oh, come I, back now. I I had to go uh, I had to go out to uh, Pensacola and I had to see the docs on a regular basis. They would check up on me. They would do X-rays because, like I said, I had compound tib fib, so mm-hmm. they would take X-rays to see if the bones were healing appropriately. And I had to do, you know, the physical fitness test, and I had to prove that I was. Uh, and again, the, the, uh, the, I always, God has been a constant in my life. Yeah. Uh, I, I'll just, God's been a constant in my life. I'll say it again. Yeah. So, I'm recovering. The next, the next. Uh, so we get to the hospital. I get life flighted. The accident happens. I get life flighted to Pensacola. I'm in a civilian hospital, not a military hospital. It's the uh, the trauma center in Pensacola. Just so happens that the uh, the surgeon on duty, uh, what do you call those guys? The orthopedic surgeon on duty mm-hmm. happens to be a retired Navy guy. Nice. And he's familiar with the Navy. He's familiar with the OD. And uh, he says to my wife, "I'm like out of it, doped up on." And he says, "Listen." after speaking to my wife he says listen we're gonna try something different with your husband because i think he's up to this we're not going to leave any hardware in his body when we're done hardware free not a screw nothing but he's going to be in a fixator for six weeks a cast for probably four months and it's going to be rough yeah but i think he's a candidate for that and so and so that's what they did uh so the morning after the surgery he comes to see me in the room and uh, my wife kind of caught me up on what was going on. And I said, all right, Doc, listen, love you, first of all. Thank you, right? I mean, uh, anyone that's had hardware in their body, it may save your life or fix you, but it's not the best thing. Yeah. So anyway, I'm thankful for that. I said, look, listen, give it to me real. What's the real deal? What, what are my realistic expectations? And he says, well, uh, within a year, you'll probably be walking with a pretty significant limp and a cane, but you'll be walking. I'm like, sat there and thought about it, and I said, Doc, I love you, I respect you, but that doesn't work for me. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what? 
My wife looks at him. Nurse, nurse is like, it's the morphine. It's the morphine. <laughs> so 10 days short of a year, I did that same exact bike ride. Nice. 150 miles in 10 hours. That's awesome. I was just like when I showed up at Moby in it too. I was determined. I was dedicated. I'm like, I'm coming back from this. And that, that was it. So you said, you know, would you have to go through? I literally kicked my own butt for a year. That's awesome. When the therapist said, do this, I did 10 more. Yeah. I did it till I said, push me until I start to cry. And then just push me a little bit further. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, so that was, uh, but again, that was an opportunity. I had just become a chief and I was part of the chief's mess and the chief's mess came to visit me in the hospital and make fun of me yeah, and taunt of me. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, uh, that was an experience. That was a real bonding experience with the, uh, with the chief experience, the chief's mess and that community and sticking together. And, uh, so yeah. Uh, that was an experience for myself and my family and, and the community that we were surrounded by. Nice. So, yeah. That's good. That's, you know, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the military if there wasn't some, uh, right. you know, right. razzing. Yes. As, as they yes. say. <laughs> what we talked about earlier, shame. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Perform or you will be shamed. Yeah. Somehow I'm Love sure they, they turned it into, it was your fault. You got right. hit. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, that's, that's but I mean, funny. how, you know, how ironic is that? Yeah. That, and you know, so many times we're type A personalities We're we're, we're, you know, we're, we're not risk averse in, mm -hmm. in our off duty lives. Right. And so how many times does a warrior succumb to something like that? Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's no good way for a warrior to go, but that's just not. Yeah. That was never in yeah. any of our plans. Right. You know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, yeah. So we, uh, so we were at EOD school. Uh, I started out in ground, finished up in uh, tools and methods, was the community manager, learned a lot. Um, one of the things that I will say is, uh, on, a, on a serious note, is that as the community manager, you, you get to know a lot of people. You don't get to know them really well, but you see them every day. Yeah. You, you see their names come across your computer. You, you have some familiarity with them. And then as we start to have losses in the community, names start popping up. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of them, I'll just say this, a couple of them I was, and I'm not patting myself on the back whatsoever, but I can confidently say if it wasn't for me, they wouldn't be EOD techs. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, we all, we all have buddies. Mm -hmm. And wouldn't change a thing yeah but you know you you do have to you do have to carry that yeah and uh and that's another aspect of it that uh is i, I definitely would be remiss if i didn't mention yeah um so all of these things throughout uh i've seen a lot of guys get injured you know in training and got in in operations and uh so with all the experience, the joy, the laughter, the, the good times, there's uh, a lot of um, memorializing and uh, respect going on yeah. at the same time. And that was another 
great thing about being at the schoolhouse was being able to really uh, become familiar with the memorial, right? The memorial wall and um, and pay respect to that. And I regretfully say I have not since I left the community. I haven't been back there, even though I was in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I will be going back now. I um, it's a poor excuse. It's an excuse. I was I was a cop. Yeah. <laughs> trying. I was a rookie cop trying to learn how to be a cop. And, yeah. Um, but, um, I, I missed it. I missed it. I realize now having attended the NSOF, uh, gala, how ridiculous that was for me to not do that. But I think sometimes, you know, it's just, <clears throat> sometimes there's a, a separation that happens for a little while, whether it's intended or unintended. And then, uh, events like NSOF gala or, right. or something, you know, um, kind of come along and gives you kind of a a renewed not I don't want to say purpose but like a renewed like it's gonna sound weird but vigor yeah to to, yeah. to get back into yeah. the community or, or well, something like you that. don't you don't it's, I think it's an old song or something like that right you, you don't know what you've got until it's gone yeah right you don't yeah. know what you're missing until you step outside of it yeah and uh and I I certainly stepped outside of the community for a while and it really uh, it really has drawn me back in, and I've always been proud of it, always been connected kind of remotely from the outside, mm-hmm. but very proud to be back, uh, very proud to see what's going on with us as a community. The um, the EOD uh, Warrior Foundation, NSOF, NEODA, uh, all these organizations, and let's be real, a lot of us old guys can't let go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but But... I shouldn't say that. It's it's really it's really commendable that uh, so many of us are. I say us like I didn't just come back into it. Uh, so many are sticking around to really pass on what we've learned and make yeah. sure those vital lessons don't uh, don't get lost, especially as our our nation uh, goes through this rhythm. Right mm-hmm. there's there's conflicts there's wars. And then there's time in between. Yep. And that time in between when you're not exercising your skills, you know, to the utmost, uh, you you need those old guys around to, yeah. to bring reality to it. Yep. And say, listen, you know, we're all about we're all about training, we're all about having a good time, but somebody somebody needs to slap some reality on this and and keep it real. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think in the downtimes you you need to be able to to relax, but there there's always training that needs to get done. Right. Relax when it's time to relax. Yes. Train when it's time to train. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What do they always say? Yeah. Earn your earn your weekend. That's right. right. Like. That's right. That's right. And it's you know when I first when I first came into the EOD community, I think there was like four hundred of us. Yeah. Right. And so. You know, beer under the tree on Friday. You know, those kind of things were real. Yeah, it's like that stuff happened. Uh, and as the forest has grown, which it needs to and it should, you know, with with the logistics of the size of the forest, some of those things change. Right. And it's and it's unfortunate, but they have to change. Yeah. And uh, but you know, you can do what you can to keep to keep that atmosphere to keep that camaraderie, yeah. to keep that connection and make sure the new guys understand, listen, we got to do things differently, 
but let's not lose the spirit of who we are. Yeah, exactly. And that's why the End South Gala was just fantastic. It was so, it was super. Yeah. That was a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've, uh, last year was the first time I went to it. And, you know, after you go to it and then you realize, oh, I could have gone to this several years yes. before. And you're like, ah. Oh, man. It, it is a good time. Yeah. I, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Um, that Admiral Morneau and, uh, and everybody just really, um, who's the current Admiral? Oh my gosh. I'm horrible. Uh, Andros. Admiral Andros. Andros. Mm-hmm. I was really, really, and this sounds so, I don't know. It sounds so ridiculous. The sound of it, say of an Admiral, really proud, yeah. uh, of Admiral Andros and his, um, speaking about family. Yeah. Um, it, it, it just, it cannot be understated how incredibly uh, difficult a career field this is for families. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of them kind of get dashed on the rocks. Um, those that survive do not survive without scars. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, it's taken me 34 years in uniform to figure out that, you know, and kind of uh, come up in leadership just far enough. I've never been at the top, never wanted to be. Uh, far far enough to see that it, it can be done, but it has to be, it has to be put in the mix. Yeah. It, it has to be intentional. Yeah. And people like Admiral Andrew speaking it into life and saying, we need to be intentional about this is where it starts, mm-hmm. right? Because nobody wants to do something when it's not cool. Yeah. When the Admiral says it, it's cool. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. You know, as I look at um, friends that have, you know, everything, uh, obviously I'm not, like, peeking in their windows at night to see what goes right. on behind closed right. doors, you know. But as I look at uh, uh, friends that have, you know, what seem like pretty stable, like, marriage kids mm-hmm. all, all that you know mm-hmm. is, is kind of lined up um when i think about them they they are very in, intentional and and that is a priority that they yes. have set out right and yep. and uh it becomes significantly harder to uh have stability if it's not a priority for yes. that that specific thing right. to either have a good marriage you know a, a strong right. marriage whatever and obviously there's things that can pop in here and there right but um, you know, when you just, it's just like, it, it's like planning an operation. If you're like, yeah, we're going to hop on this plane and land somewhere and then we'll go do what we need to do. Right. Right. That's, that's my plan. Right. Exactly. There's a lot of places where that can fall apart. Yes. And if yes. you've actually like made it an intentional thing, then there's still places right. that it can fall apart, but at least you've tried to like right. identify right. lefts and rights. Yes. And, you know, listen, we all know plan A is the throwaway plan. Yeah, okay? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so going to Iraq. So you went to, from the, tr- uh, schoolhouse to Moby at six, right? Yes. And then, uh, deployed to Iraq uh, out of there. Yeah. Uh, no, back to, uh, I think I was at Moby, I was at Moby too. Back Moby to Moby two. Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so back to Moby at two. And uh, I am just elated because I've 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 beat the odds. Yeah, you know I've stayed full duty, and uh, and 
um, ready to lead a team. I mean, that's the that's the pinnacle for you know every chief, right? Yeah. Is to, is to lead a team, and uh, so I had no idea how long a NSW workup is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a kick in the shorts. It's it's actually two workups. <laughs> yeah, it's actually two workups. Um, oh, that's. But uh, yeah, again, what a what an amazing what an amazing experience, and um, and challenging and long, <laughs> and that's even before you get to Iraq, right? Yeah. That's even before you get on deployment. Um, the personalities, the two communities, yeah. right? Uh, and then of course my brothers, my brothers a seal, so. Yeah, uh, there's that. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, no pressure, right? <laughs> no pressure, um, but uh, just lot. I say no pressure. Lots of pressure put on by myself. Yeah, uh, perceived by many others. Um, I'm sure it was probably not as much as I perceived it was, but you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure there. Uh, you're, you're taking a team of young guys. Uh, my, my Lieutenant was fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lieutenant Encarnacion, Encarnacion, <laughs> I can't even pronounce it anymore. <laughs> uh, great guy. Uh, great guy. He was solid. The whole team, whole team was solid. And, um, yeah, I, I there's just so many aspects to it. It, it just is a, it's a, it's a real test of everything. Uh, it's a test of your, of your, your discipline, your longevity, uh, your, your ability to just go over and over and over. And, and again, going back to the family's perspective, you know, you're, you're constantly going out of the area for training, right? Because uh, those guys have fantastic training areas, right? Mm -hmm. All, but they're all over the place. Yeah. And so, and then in such a long workup, you have Secret Service jobs, mm -hmm. right? And you have quals that you have to keep up, and you have you know quals you have to meet. You have to go to the training unit, and and so it's a it's a long arduous it's a long arduous trail. Yeah. And by the time you get to deployment. Your life before that, you don't even know it anymore. Yeah, it's like, what was that? I, I don't even know. This is my life now, right? And um, and it's pretty easy to get lost in that. Really. Uh, and then of course the deployment was um, wow. Uh, so we were we were in Iraq. Uh, area Area Four was the name of the portion of the base where we were at. We were in Biop Area Four. And uh, we were supporting Army SF and also uh, Team 10. Okay. And so, and Team 10, of course, was split in two different areas. And so half of our, uh, a portion of our team was with them in the south. We were up there. And then uh, we were also supporting the Army SF guys. So we were, we were spread pretty thin. And that's the closest I've ever been to actually, you know, we always talk about in EOD being, you know, your smallest team is two. Yeah. Right. Well, that's pretty much on a regular basis. Yeah. When you're operating, uh, when you're operating like that, and so that's a real that's a real test of your metal. Mm -hmm. uh, and then of course Iraq in 2007 um, was not the worst part of Iraq, but it was pretty busy. Yeah. And um, so while we were there, 
Um, we we lost three guys. Um, the XO of the XO of the uh, Army SF unit that was there was uh, was was injured pretty severely. Uh, lost a leg actually. Um, and the op tempo is just. I've never experienced anything like that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it was often before you really start to get to know the community and know how other people operate. And, you know, you hear about, you hear about dev group and they're like, oh, they do three do three month deployments. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what they do in three months? <laughs> <laughs> they don't sleep. I can tell you that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, and so, and, the funny thing is so many times you talk to you talk to other folks and I am not taking anything from anyone else's experience mm -hmm. legitimately. But some folks like, you know, army guys, they're sometimes at some point, I think they were doing like a year and a half. Yeah. And it's like, good God. Yeah. Um, now, despite the fact that they may maybe not were not going out the gate on a regular basis, still just living on the base for, for a year and a half. Mm -hmm. But, you know. In our six months, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah, a lot, and uh, I, I don't, I don't really have anything to compare it to. But from my perspective, we were busy all the time. Yeah, and uh, and that wears you out. Uh, and <laughs> trying to be, trying to be the chief of a team, uh, who's also under the thumb of the SEAL team. Uh, they're not the easiest to work for, right? <laughs> um, great to work for, but not the easiest. And so, that, and then of course you got admin. Uh, you've got guys in another area of the AO. Uh, you're spread thin. You oh, by the way, don't dare lose a piece of equipment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, by the way, uh, you know, homeboys' evals are still due. Yeah. Right. Oh, uh, I got to write awards. I mean, it's just, it's, it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. Yeah. And, um, so for me, uh, one of the, one of the, the highlights, I can't even say highlight. That's just not right. One of the lasting experiences for me was uh, in, uh, I think it was August of 07, we were uh, coming off the X, uh, leaving a target, and we were funneled into, we were in, operating in Solder City. We were funneled into a roadway, which happens many times, and uh, my vehicle was hit by an EFP and went clear through uh, uh, the back seat yeah. which was, I'll just say, filled with electronics. It was, it was not manned. Nice. Uh, no, it didn't go through the back seat. I'm sorry. It went through the trunk. Okay. Yeah. And there was a false wall between the trunk and, and the back seat. Nobody in the back seat, but there was a, a gap between the false wall. And uh, so it was, you know, uh, it was a shocking, shocking experience. You know, yeah. you, you, you know every day that, you could confront that. And I, I, myself and the driver who was an army mechanic, yeah. not even an SF guy, love the army, right? <laughs> You're a me mechanic, right? You can drive a truck. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy named Dave. Yeah. Uh, he was my driver and, uh, I was operating, I was operating a laptop 
And so we had no we had no weapons and lots of antennas. I'll just say that we all know what that means, right? And so we were a natural we were a natural target. Mm -hmm. And uh, because by virtue of the fact that we were operating with SF, we were driving the vehicles pretty much as fast as they would go. Yeah. And we were under heavy fire. Uh, we were funneled into this area we under heavy fire. And so you basically just put your foot on the gas and go. Mm -hmm. and you're driving, driving on nods. I mean, it's just a very chaotic situation. And uh, so the EFP goes right through the vehicle. Uh, we're protected by the false wall, but the gap between the false wall and, this, and the roof of the vehicle leaves enough room for the cabin to fill with smoke mm -hmm. and gas. And you literally can't, you can't, if you touch your nose with your hand, you couldn't see it. Really? And so literally Dave is just put, put his foot on the gas. We're talking on the radio. They're like, just keep going straight. Just keep going straight. And we just drove blind for about a mile Jeez. as fast as we could go straight. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, uh, yeah. And so that's, uh, that's an experience in itself. That doesn't, that doesn't leave you. And, um, uh, not to make light of it in any way, shape or form, but, we all know that our sense of humor is pretty sick. Yeah. And so I'll share, I'll share my thoughts at the time. Uh, and, and again, I don't want to offend anybody. Um, but legitimately, this is what was going through my head. Uh, I was focused on, I was focused on the laptop. We got in the vehicle. We have, we have no guns, no windows to shoot out of. That's not our, that's not our mission. No. So we're just focused on that. So at the beginning of every mission, I would take a water bottle, frozen, and put it in the visor. And by the time we got back in the trucks and we're headed home, it would be thawed out just enough to have a nice cold yeah. drink of water, right? So I get in. I'm doing my thing. I take the cap off, take a sip, put the cap back on like one turn, put it between my legs, and I'm doing my thing. Well, EFP goes through the vehicle, and I don't care how cool you are. You're going you're gonna to clench up. Yeah. I clenched up, right? <laughs> and so the top pops off the bottle, and my legs are wet. And I, like I said, you can put your hand on your nose. You can't see it. Yeah. And so my first thoughts are, oh, my God, I've either lost my legs or I've pissed myself. Yeah. And, Lord, I think I actually hope I lost my legs because I don't want to tell anybody I pissed myself. <laughs> yeah. Right? And for anyone that's injured, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. But legitimately, yeah. that was going through my mind. I said, Dave, are you okay? And all I heard was, yeah, I'm okay. And like, okay, let's let's carry on. Yeah. But for that nanosecond, you know, it's like you're, you're doing the whole check yourself. Like, okay, they're still there. I'm yep. still talking. And um, But anyway, that's an example of our dark humor which gets no yeah. better when you become a cop i yeah. can tell you I, I can imagine <laughs> i can imagine yeah i i think there's uh well one i don't think anybody listening to this would take any offense to that but anybody that that would hasn't either trained in a a field <laughs> yes that where the consequences of almost everything you do could right. even in training right be serious injury or yes. death yes and yeah i think one of the only ways we get through some of those things right. is to have those kind of thoughts and then probably get, even if we did pee ourselves, right? right like right, have right, somebody be like, right. throw some water on me. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, that is 100% where we go. Yes. Like, yeah. Yes. I mean, who wants to be that guy, right? right? I mean, we all, we all see ourselves as 10 foot tall and bulletproof, right? <laughs> the ultimate warrior, 300. That's me, right? Yeah. Uh, 
uh, you uh. know, so it's 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 difficult when you come face to face with humanity. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, so uh, that's it. That's that's my that's my Iraq story. Yeah. And um, you know, I am very very blessed to have uh, been in the company of the men that I was in the company of. Um, I'm proud to have been there and served alongside them. I'm blessed to be here, and I it does not is not lost on me for a second of all of the uh, sacrifices that have been made, and um, so yeah. So um, after that, it was about around time to transition out. How was well? You took a couple years after you got out before you became a cop, right? Yeah. I uh, won. One year? Yeah, okay. literally so, one. <laughs> so not nearly as much Hated as I was every minute of it. <laughs> um, transitioning out, the how was the process for you? And then why so quickly um, <laughs> did you go back into something that was... I uh, so my my transition out of the Navy was was quicker than I expected and circumstances that I, you know, were unexpected for me. And I'll just leave it at that. Um, and I've just piqued everybody's curiosity. <laughs> uh, come have a beer with me. I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, not not horrible. I mean, I had a 26 year Navy career. Yeah. I mean, that's not bad. Right. Uh, had an amazing uh, an amazing retirement, thanks to my wife and Moby Unit Six. And I'll just say for anyone that was there, participated, thank you. That was an amazing thing. Um, so my transition out of the Navy, but it was it was rather quicker than I expected. And our sons were still uh, in. My youngest son was still in high. Our youngest son was still in high school. Our oldest was just beginning college, and uh, we weren't ready to. We didn't. I had no idea what the heck I was going to do next. Yeah. I mean, like most of us, right? I mean, especially if you spend 26 years, you're, you're institutionalized. You yeah. Know, I told you earlier, my entire family. It's like if we weren't in uniform, we didn't know what to do. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know what to do. So, but I needed a job. Uh, being an EOD tech didn't make me rich. <laughs> <laughs> Usually it does. I, I don't I know what now, happened. Right? <laughs> Uh, so I needed a job, and uh, I was blessed with a job uh, right around the corner, actually, a company called AGI, which uh, for anyone from Point One listening, the garage door that faces your office building, I worked there. <laughs> <laughs> I worked at AGI for a year. They're a sign company, and yeah. they said, we don't care if you know the first thing about making signs. We just want you to lead people. I'm like, well, pff, shoot, that's easy. Yeah. Uh, sign me up and uh, and oh by the way you'll be a salaried employee and I had no idea what that meant I spent my entire adult life in the Navy I'm like salary that sounds good yeah yeah that means you're working weekends and nights exactly right uh, and AGI is a great company still is uh, they I like sound like a salesman for AGI now uh, make a great product but uh, and I love the work I love the people but Corporate America and Chris Rudiger, not a good, that's a bad divorce. Yeah. Not a good matchup. Uh, and I was too fresh out of the Navy. I'm like, do you not know who I am? I'm Senior Chief Rudiger, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it just was, it was, it, it, it provided a paycheck and, and it was a great phase of my life where I learned what I don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm eternally thankful for that. And it, it allowed me to provide for my family in the interim. 
But uh, back to the original question, my wife and I have been watching the show Cops for 20 years. Yeah. And one night I come home from AGI, Friday night, knowing I'm going back to work on Saturday. And uh, so sit on the couch, eating our dinner, watching Cops, episode in Florida, and uh, drinking my beer. And she says, you know, hey, wouldn't it be great to be a cop in Florida? I'm like, yeah, that'd be awesome. Finish my beer, go to bed, because I got to go to work on Saturday. I'm a salaried employee now. Uh, so about three weeks later, I come home. I walk through the door, and we have a table by the door. You put your keys, your wallet, whatever. And there's a, a police academy application signed by me, <laughs> a plane ticket, and my running shoes. <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. And according to my wife, I was a miserable cuss. <laughs> Every day that of that year, I was just miserable. Yeah. Horrible. And she got sick of it. And uh, so she called the police academy down there near where my grandparents live. And we're like, listen, I've been in the Navy 26 years, haven't been around my family. My mother lives up here. She loved it's her parents. You know, so my wife comes up with this scheme. We're all going to move to Florida. You can become a cop. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> So she's like, congratulations, they accepted your application. Here's your plane ticket. You're going down there in one month to take all of your entry tests. And by the way, you've gotten a little chubby, so there's your running shoes. <laughs> oh, that's great. Do you not love an EUD wife? Right. I mean, she's like, yeah, we're doing this. <laughs> so uh, so we took our youngest to college. We dropped him off uh, at Randolph-Macon up in Ashland, Virginia, and literally came back down to Virginia Beach. Three days later, movers came, picked up all of our stuff, and we moved to Florida. Wow. And left our kids up here in Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. They're, they're boys, and they're EOD raised. It's like, yeah. they'll be fine. Yeah. And yeah. they're both football exactly. players, so they have coaches. Nice. So they're fine. <laughs> yeah, so we, we moved to Florida, and, um, and uh, I became a cop. That's awesome. Yeah. Is that, do you think, uh, you know, after doing that for eight years, um, do you think that's what you needed? Do you think there's any other way to get... Because it, it seems like you enjoyed that. I, oh, I immensely enjoyed it. And, and yes, I absolutely needed it. Um, not because there was nothing else I could have done. Right. But I needed, I needed a transition. 26 years is a long time yeah. in the Navy. And when your entire family is also... I mean, that's who you are. Yeah. And so... The uh, most police departments tend to be uh, somewhat, you know, militaristic, but not quite. Right. And so it, it kind of provides that it, it provides a lot of the forms of the military without being completely military. And um, it was a great transition for me. Um, my wife did it because she saw that as a, I refer to myself as a sheepdog. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman, thank you. Um, as a sheepdog, I, I just, I was miserable. Yeah. I was miserable. The transition was, was I won't say too quick, because how, you know, it, it, you, you know it's coming to some extent, but I, I didn't do enough preparation for it. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, there were classes, and, you know, they, the, the military provides classes, and, and, and I did those, but I, I just was too ingrained and didn't have enough time to really slow down. Mm. Uh, that's the big thing. Yeah. Is, um, the the op tempo for so long was so fast, 
And at some point, you don't realize you're going 100 miles an hour, right? right? I mean, you just fall into it, and you don't realize you're going that fast. And so now you get out, and you really need time to gain perspective, but you keep going at 100 miles an hour because yeah. that's what you're used to. And so that year went by so quickly. I really gained no perspective. I just was feeding my family, doing what I had to do. And, uh, and my, my wife saw, God bless her, that I was absolutely miserable. And she's like, I need to get him back into something sheepdog. Yeah. And where can you do that at the age of 45? Florida. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, so she did that for me. And, um, and, and that really was what I needed. And I would love to sit here and say that the next eight years were just a bowl of cherries <laughs> and it was great. And, uh, it was fantastic for me. Yeah. Uh, it was not so good for my marriage. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. we sit here today, uh, together, we came through it and I, I would honestly say that my eight years in law enforcement was a huge part responsible for that giving me yeah. the slower pace to transition and get perspective unfortunately it took all eight years to get full perspective so <laughs> sometimes we're you know, slow learners you know, you know? <laughs> <laughs> i'm not the sharpest tool in the shed <laughs> um uh, that that provides a perfect segue into <laughs> your podcast actually and and where you uh, what you started. So, uh, she, sheepdog marriage one five nine. Yes. Right? Uh, first of all, what is one five nine? One five nine was my badge number. Okay. Right. I, I was right. I was putting some dots, yeah. but you know, I didn't want to like, so in the, in the law enforcement world, when you are assigned, when you were assigned that badge number, your department will never reassign that badge number. Okay. That's yours forever. So nice. there's just the next guy comes along. He's one six zero. Gotcha. One six one. Okay. So yeah. And so that's nice. mine for life, at that's least from awesome. Stewart, Stewart, City of Stewart Police Department. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to you guys. <laughs> um, so when did when did you decide to, I'll say, when did, and then it kind of, it's the, it's the second part of the same question. Why did you decide to, uh, one, start the podcast and start uh, doing what you're doing with Sheepdog Marriage? All right, so... Hold on to your socks, folks. Okay. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, Tina, she's going to listen to this at some point, and she will absolutely agree with me. We are absolutely transparent, probably to a fault in our podcast. Yeah. So anything that I say right now has been screened by my wife. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we've told the story before. So I just want to preface it with that. And honey, I love you. <laughs> she's awesome. Um. So, yeah, I'm sorry. The, the question again? Uh, when did you come up with, you know, wanting to do it? And then why? Oh, the sheepdog mountain. Yeah. Yes. Uh, okay. So um, the first four years of our eight years down in Florida were, uh, again, going back to, and this all will wind together. Um Neither of us came from financially savvy families, my wife and I, and the Navy did not make us rich. Yeah. So we moved to Florida on a dime and a hope <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and a, a pension check that was eh, got us by. So uh, the first four years was me becoming a cop, be learning how to be a cop. She got a job. 
uh, getting settled. We moved once or twice in Florida because the police academy where I ultimately worked. Were, so first four years, we're just logistically getting settled. And right about that time is when uh, the kind of volcano popped. And gotcha. the years at that point would have been 28 years of going 100 miles an hour mm -hmm. and tucking things under the rug and uh, feeding my sheepdog spirit kind of blew up. Yeah. And uh, we just, we didn't, our, our kids were out of the house where we're, uh, we're empty nesters. Um, we made the mistake, uh, if my mom ever hears this, mom, I'm sorry. Uh, we made the mistake of allowing, not allowing, we asked my mother to move into our house. Um, and there was a, there was another party that we bought a big house, um, for the purpose of giving mom a place to live. So all this family stuff mm -hmm. was all culminating. And we had not slowed down long enough to really be us. Yeah. And we're just we're just going, going, going. And at that point, uh, things just culminated to a point where we almost divorced. Yeah. Uh, my wife, Tina, moved out of the house for about a month and a half, um, lived with a partner of mine and his wife. <laughs> uh, and she, she literally moved out of the house and yeah. we were, we were well on our way to being the next statistical divorce, whether it's from EOD or law enforcement, right? EOD, everyone's divorced, mm -hmm. right? Uh, it just caught up to us later. <laughs> um, but we were almost the next statistic and we, while we had no idea where we were, where we were going or why we were doing what we were doing, we were very adamant that God had brought us together we had a lot of water under the bridge. We had overcome so much stuff. And we're like, this can't be it. Yeah. And both of our parents were are divorced. And we're like, is this our legacy? It just doesn't seem right. But we had a very difficult time finding a resource that we felt understood who we were. Mm -hmm. Right? Who's going to understand the EOD deployments and cop life and all of that stuff? Yeah. And uh, my wife, out of obedience, reached out to our church and said, hey, listen, we, we, we're in trouble. We need some help. And our church, God bless them, was like, hey, here, go to this married small group. <laughs> and we're like, hey, listen, appreciate that, but not for nothing. Uh, we're going to contaminate everybody else in your small group. I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. this is not going to go well for your small group. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't think you're understanding. We, there was no resource yeah. for us. Um, God would have it. We were obedient. We went to a small group, and at that small group was a, a, a gentleman and his wife who many years ago was a 31. Oh, wow. Interesting. Right? I mean, <laughs> right? Really? And uh, they are the founders of an organization called Married for a Purpose. Okay. And we instantly connected with them, and just they said, listen, we get you. Give us a shot. And we did. And uh, we did what they call a reboot, a two-day intensive. And it turned our life around. And the biggest thing that it did was it slowed us down. Yeah. And, and peeled back the onion on 26 years or 28 years at that point of all the stuff 
that we had never slowed down long enough to look at and really analyze and go, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that became, uh, as we as we came out of that process, we felt uh, we felt called by by God to. You, God was like, you know, the experience you had finding a resource. Well, guess what? Now you're somebody else's. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, who's who? Who in uniform, whether it's law enforcement, military, uh, first responders, who's going to walk in and say, "I'm having trouble." Who's going to do that? Nobody does that, (laughs) right? Oh, well, we have this program, we have that program, we have EAP. Nobody uses that. It's like the the best hidden secret. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Right? I mean, nobody uses that. Uh, Because I'm not going to reveal myself to you. Mm -hmm. I'm a type A personality. I'm afraid I'm going to, it's going to, it's going to impact my job. Right? I mean, and unfortunately, that's, you know, a common attitude. Right. And so we were like, okay, that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing is so that people that serve in uniform, um, can have some place to go. That's not associated with their, with their command or their job or their career field. And, uh, is talking to somebody that's walked in the, walked the walk, walked in their shoes and is not afraid to say, bro, I hear what you're telling me. Stop telling me what you tell everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> now tell me the truth. Yeah. Right. And there's so many components, especially from the military perspective, where the transition from retirement into the civilian sector, uh, the VA, there's a there's a monster we could do an entire podcast about. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going through that right now, and it's like, yeah. So you know, we just want to be there to. Uh, to offer that to others and, yeah. and say, listen, um, we are very proudly married 32 years. There are moments in our marriage where I, I if there was a video camera in my house, uh, like I said, I'm very transparent. We both are. She agrees with this. There were times as a cop, my neighbor was a cop. Yeah. And I was afraid that the cops were going to knock on my door. Yeah. And that was going to be that. I mean, it was that bad. Yeah. Um, never laid a hand on my wife. But from standing outside our house, you wouldn't have known. Yeah. Right? From the way it sounded. And um, that it breaks my heart to say that. And people, sheepdogs that are willing to give so much for their country, their community, their, their neighbors, should not have to suffer in silence. Yeah. They should have a place to go that understands and is able to provide resources. Um, and by resources, I mean, we actually, as we encounter, uh, as we encounter psychologists, financial people that get us and, and understand us, we, we vet them and we're like, yeah, I would recommend this person to somebody, mm-hmm. right? So, hey, bro, you having a problem with your finances? Okay, call this guy, he'll help you out, yeah. right? Having a problem with your VA claim? Call this guy, he'll help you out, right? And just, just like this. Getting people to talk about it mm-hmm. is the first step. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's it's not just the the podcast, right? So you have you have the podcast where you talk to right other you know military and law enforcement. Yeah. Um, but then you have um, some some different things that you do 
with it, right? Yes, we are actually certified. This sounds so crazy for you, you guys out there. Like, wait, what? <laughs> yes, we are married for a purpose, certified marriage coaches. <laughs> Try that one on. Right. <laughs> um, but yes, we are we are certified coaches, and uh, we do provide tools. We use something called Symbis, Save Your Marriage Before It Starts. Uh, I hate that name. They say save your marriage before it starts. We did it. My Tina and I did it at the 28 year mark. Yeah. And we learned a lot. Yeah. So uh, Symbis is a tool that we use. A marriage reboot is a tool that we use. Um, there's a whole community of uh, through Married for a Purpose. There's a whole community of people that every Monday night get on Zoom and they just talk. Nice. And they and they don't. It's not this whole they. It's not what it sounds. It's not what it sounds like. Yeah, you just got to come check it out. <laughs> it's uh, but it's people actually uplifting one another and talking about the things that they're using in their home. How are they doing it? How's it going for you? This worked. This didn't work. Yeah, you know, just a, just just supportive in a in a, in a way that. Um, and they're not all first responders in military, but they're all part of the married for a purpose community. And uh, let me tell you, from a cop's perspective, uh, we, we don't we don't own the lot on bad marriages. Yeah. <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> well, our circumstances are very different and yeah. they're very profound, but we surely do not own uh, the worst of it. Yeah. 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 I, I, I like that that you're doing that and what you know, when um, we got introduced and um, learned about your, your podcast and and that. Um, Cause it's, it is one of those things where uh, it's very easy to make an excuse on why you're not going to do something or, you know, involving your, your marriage or, or your family yeah. or, or whatever. Cause it's, yep. I think as, especially as, as men uh, it is, <laughs> it's very easy. And I, so I was just talking to this like not too long ago, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And um, one of the things, you know, it took a little bit for a, a reason that you're talking about, right? Right. Even though she works for, you know, yes. the, the the strike program and right. um, lots of, of guys go and, and talk to her, you still, there's still a little bit of trepidation it, at first, it, you know? It, it takes time to build trust. It does. It really does. Yeah. And, and it's, and listen, we never, ever uh, put down any other coaches, any other yeah. counseling. Um, but if we're being honest, uh, we did counseling for like 20 years off and on yeah. through the Navy Family Service Center. And we would go into counseling and we would air our grievances for the week. And then we'd get back in the car and fight on the way home. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then come back next week and do it again. Yeah. And if we're being honest, there were probably times when that probably saved our marriage from hitting the rocks yeah. officially. Right? But uh, it was all very problem focused. Yeah. And what we do is purpose focus. Mm. And what do we, uh, I hear you, we're going to talk through it. Now, what are we doing? Right. What are we doing differently? What plan do we have? What tools yeah. do we have in our pocket to change this behavior, to change this communication problem, yeah. to change our finances, to change our intimacy, to change our spirituality, mm. all of that thing, uh, our, our nutrition, our fitness. Uh, it's definitely holistic. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so we we just our experience with uh, with coaching was vastly different, yeah. and um, it's it's really it's really a challenge, and um, but it's well worth it. Mm -hmm. And what I would say is for everybody listening, uh, for all the warriors out there, 
how hard have you worked to keep this nation, to keep your community safe and free? And I'm not going to get into politics on your podcast, (laughs) but let's be real. Uh, There is certainly an argument for things going on in our nation today that are not conducive to long-lasting freedom. And as a cop, one of my experiences as a cop was going into homes. And I can tell you within five minutes where the, where the, if you peel back the onion, where the original problem is. Yeah. And it's a broken home, broken marriage, broken home. And so we firmly believe we, we asked, we asked God when we came through this, like, Lord, because we, as a cop, I'd see people on the bridges with their signs. This was during the whole, chaotic political you know thing and we're like what can we actually do to bring change to our community like like permanent change like sustainable change and the answer we got was uh was help help a marriage you help a family you help a family you help a community you help a community you help a city we what a shame it would be for all of your service and then you come out and you come into a community that doesn't recognize the basic principles of which you've been which you've been defending and fighting for yeah. right and um, our service should not end in our family paying the price and it doesn't have to yeah but we need to be intentional we need to have skills and one last one last thing I'll throw in there listen as leaders I've been there and it's so difficult mission first family always I get that but anywhere that you can, you've you've got to keep the family in mind. Yeah. You've you've got to. Your job is not just to accomplish the mission. Yes, that is your primary job. But anywhere that you can accomplish the mission and at the same time promote family and help your people to be intentional, mm-hmm. right? Like the guy that's doing his eighth back-to-back deployment. Listen. There's somebody else out there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. You're going to be the MacGyver of UOD techs when you retire. Your family's also going to be in a shambles. Mm-hmm. Right? And it doesn't have to be. Right. So from a leadership perspective, and uh, trust me, been there, done that. I know how difficult it is. But we all, we all need to take a bite out of this apple and be intentional about making sure that what we're defending that we, we don't lose sight of what we're defending. Right. Right? Yeah. So. No, I, I like it. Um, <clears throat> we I was just talking with a, a couple guys about, um, oh, it's it about, oh, man, I had it. I had it. My brain <laughs> does this all the time. Um, <laughs> it, it's funny because years ago I would have said right now, ah, it's not important. Right, right. But now I'm like. Uh, my brain dumps everything yes. whether it's important or not. <laughs> right, right. Um, but no, I, I, I think, uh, I think it's good. I think that, uh, you know, if there's, if there's a, if there's a thing that you can do to stabilize yourself, and if you have a family, a lot of times, the the best thing that you can do is have work to make the family stable, right? Right. right. And. Uh, uh, well, I will tell this. I don't, I don't care. Uh, uh, no. Oh, okay. So, go ahead. So I'll I'll tell this. So um, 
I, I won't I won't get into everything, but um, years ago, and probably not that many years ago, um, I had a bunch of stuff going on with me, and it made it made me not care about some things mm. at, at at home, mm-hmm. and basically, I, I over years, essentially, kind of what I would say is kind of turned um, essentially my wife off from me in certain aspects. Right. And, and eventually, and this was, this was the hard part is when I finally realized kind of what was wrong. And some of it was, was things that I, at that point couldn't control. You know, one thing I'll say for anybody coming into any type of these communities right off the bat is it's, it's going to be impossible, but as much as possible, try to manage the stress at the beginning because years and years, you know, years of essentially insomnia, (laughs) um, (laughs) that, that changes what chemicals your body is supposed to produce in the levels that they're supposed to produce. And it, it causes problems. Mm -hmm. Um, and so after a while, I, I figured out kind of how to start to get that under control started bringing me back to to a little bit more of who I was. And then I was like, why doesn't she return what I'm trying to give now? You know? And it took me a while to realize, well, you kind of trained her over the last couple of years to just not care because you didn't care for years, you know? And, uh, guess what? Mr. Type A personality. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And, and so then it was, then it was a a process of, okay, well, I've got to figure out like, I've got to do, I've got to keep making the efforts that I wasn't making for so many years mm-hmm. and hope that eventually she starts turning around, making those efforts back. Right. And, you know, I, I won't lie. There'd be, at first it was probably like a week of efforts because, you know, my attention spans short. And then I'd be like, what in the world? Like I'm, I'm over this. Right. I don't care anymore. Right. And I'm like, no dude, is this is your fault. You have to care. <laughs> and then, it, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to push for a month and then, you know, right. This isn't working. And eventually it is like it, it, it does work eventually, but you know, it, it would have been probably a smarter and faster move had I found somebody to then, you know, work on it together with. Cause really I was working it right. on my side, right. but I think as, as guys, sometimes like specifically guys, right. I think sometimes we're like, if we if we even realize it's our fault, I know I think like this. Well, it, it's it's my it's my burden. It's my fault. It, yes. I will suffer with this. Yes. I won't burden her with this. Right. And you know, that's probably it. While it eventually worked out, probably could have worked out a lot faster yes. if I had been like, "Hey, this is yes. where I'm at." Like I realized I screwed things up because I don't think I ever told her I screwed things up. Right. You know, <laughs> I just kind of like, "Oh, let's just go." So. Having having something to, to go out to, having something that you know they're not going to instantly judge you right? and, you know, come right. to you. And right. you're not like a lot of I've heard more than one occasion where um, guys in the community talk about things that they've done, seen, whatever. And the the person on the other side of the table or on the other couch looks at them and it's like. Like with that, you're a terrible person, you right, know. Right. And you're like, I know that's why I'm here. Like, <laughs> but did you did you notice where we're sitting? <laughs> exactly. But when you can go to a place where you know 
that that's not the look. The, the look is going to be, I know where you're coming from. It. Let's figure out where I to go. It. That's and, awesome. And guess what? I can translate this for your spouse. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. I can make this make sense for your spouse. Um, if I can share something really quick. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to break another EOD norm here. <laughs> I, I'm going to talk about the Bible. I'm going to quote <laughs> the Bible. Not, not quote it, but uh, directly. But yeah. So listen, Genesis 2, second book of the Bible. Uh, it says that God, God made woman as a fit helper for man. Yeah. That means that she is a fit helper for you. If you understand English, those words, she is a fit helper for you. She has strengths you don't recognize. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and let me not be chauvinistic here. This goes both ways because right. there's fe- female EOD techs out there, female first responders, right? Uh, you are fit for one another. Mm-hmm. You're going, they're going to adapt to you. They're going to adjust to you. And another very poignant lesson that I learned probably a year and a half ago, the guy that's been a marriage coach for four years, uh, so we were at a retreat for law enforcement, uh, law enforcement um, couples, and we were talking about PTSD. And my my incident in Iraq came up. I shared my story, and the part I didn't share earlier was that I didn't tell my wife. Yeah. At the end of that mission, uh, grabbed the phone, called her, and just had a conversation. Hey, baby, how you doing? Great. How are you? Good. How's your day? Fine. Didn't tell her. Yeah. Didn't tell her a single thing. Because I'm like, she doesn't need to know. Yeah. Came home a couple months later, and probably even a month after that, that I got home, I told her. She was pissed. Pissed. Yeah. I mean, it was an issue for us. Really? She was like, how dare you? How dare you assume I'm not capable of handling that? I've been married to you for how long? And I'm not saying that this is the way every couple should handle it. Right. But what I'm saying is we so often underestimate our spouse and their abilities and their thoughts and their heart, right? God made them a fit uh, helper for you. That's something that, again... None of us are bad. I won't even say but. None of us are bad. However, we're all going at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. And when was the last time you truly slowed down and took the, yeah, you took the week off after deployment and you went to Disney. Great. <laughs> yeah. When was the last time you really sat down on a regular basis and connected with your spouse, heart, mind, and soul, and said, let's talk? Yeah. Uh, a lot of times there's not a good answer. <laughs> there isn't. There isn't. And there's no shame in that. I'm not here to shame anybody. I'm here to tell you it can be done differently. Mm-hmm. And your post-service experience can be still married. Right. <laughs> and it can be great. Yeah. And it can be legacy. And it. one of the things that I've seen over the years is that some of the some of the craziest family dynamics are military cops pastors yeah <laughs> all forms of sheepdog that are pouring into everybody else saving everybody else 
and not getting it right within their own four walls. Mm-hmm. And that's not a judgment. That's not a shame. That's just a fact. That's an observation. Yeah. And we can change that. We have the ability to change that as a community, talking about it, making resources available, resources that you'll actually use. Right. Right. <laughs> so anyway, that's it. No, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate you uh, coming on and, um, you know, one talking about your, your time at EOD and then um, also that, you know, you found something that uh, um, is is a, a way for you to give back, but but that can can help, you know, families and and provide uh, services for them. Right. So I, I, right. I appreciate that. I appreciate they, you sharing. They they deserve that. Our community deserves that. Our nation deserves that getting back to some basics and um it all begins within our four walls yeah. get it right there and the overabundance of that flows out to everybody else i love it bring a little peace to this crazy world yeah right we need it <laughs> we need it <laughs> yes yes all right well i appreciate it very much thank you so much and again uh i can't i can't uh say enough how awesome it is this project what you're doing the time that you're putting into it uh and folks uh, I'm going to take a shameless plug here. This show doesn't happen for free. I'm just saying. <laughs> so please uh, come, be interviewed, speak, donate, support. Uh, we all benefit from it. So thanks for the opportunity. It's great to be here. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. All right. Thank you for listening to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share.